What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, ratioed. Despite all the advantages in the metrics on the ice last night, the teams we needed to score couldn't get it done. I'll look back at a weird night in NHL analytics. Then it's a rough start to the NBA playoffs with whatever that was in Indy and Boston. Can we get two more favorites home tonight? Finally, we'll do a little PGA Championship preview, what to make of Kiowa Island, and how does that shape who and what we want to bet on this weekend. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Good news, bad news day today. Good news is, this is going to be a little bit shorter. Bad news is it's because I just recorded like a 50-minute podcast that uh, basically died and the recording went with it. Um, so we're, we're sort of like having to rewrite the uh, essay, if you will, um, after your computer deletes it. Uh, and you know, it's never going to be as good as it was the first time. So, you know, bad news is it's not going to be as good. Good news is it's going to be shorter because I'm going to motor through this stuff like you wouldn't believe. Um, <laughs> lots to do today though, which, you know, again, indicative by the fact that, you know, I just did a 50 minute uh, recording, um, hockey, basketball, and the PGA championship in that order. Again, going to keep it tighter than my original draft of this. So last night, three games, all kind of the same, unfortunately for us, uh, two to one ish type of games. And again, you know, unfortunately, not all of them finished that way, especially for those of you playing the wheel. I want to start with Tampa Bay and Florida. And so, you know, this was the only bet that I made that was a true, you know, bet as far as a best bet is concerned, right? We bet Florida doesn't work out. If you saw my appearance on uh, Brown Bag Bets or listened to the appearance on Brown Bag Bets with uh, Andy Molitor and Alex Christensen yesterday, you saw or heard that I gave them the under six, right? We talked about this a little bit yesterday with the goaltending. We get, you know, we got Chris Dreger in the lineup for Florida and the number went from five and a half to six, which again, bit of an overreaction to that first game where three power play goals are scored and a penalty kill, uh, excuse me, a shorthanded goal was scored by Tampa Bay. So four special teams goals, right? You're not expecting to see that on a given, you know, any given day. So Florida 2.08 expected goals for to 1.53 for Tampa. So they did it again. They were the better team at even strength. 13 to 5 in the high danger chances, but Tampa gets two goals on high danger chances to Florida's just one out of 13. And, you know, fundamentally not rocket science here, but you can't give up that first goal or you can't have a bad bounce like that in that first goal. So two on one, it's a high danger chance. There is an expectation of a goal, right? Around what, 14% as we normally talk about. But just the way that it goes in, right? Banks off of the defender on the two on one and rolls, slides into the net. And now all of a sudden, Florida is down one nothing in a game that let's just be honest, right? They have to have and they give up a second goal. And the reason you can't give up the first goal on kind of a bad bounce is because the Tampa Bay Lightning have really good players like Braden Point who are going to create that second goal where he makes this crazy rush to the net, goes top shelf, hits the crossbar and the rebound, gets potted. And you go, okay, that's the goal that I expect Tampa Bay to get. The one off of, you know, off of a guy. And again, it would have felt better if the, if it hadn't gone off the defenseman, if the pass had gone through and the two-on-one had been converted sort of a more traditional way. We'd be able to sit back and go like, oh, okay, that's fine. But other than those two plays, Tampa Bay gets 
three high danger chances at even strength the rest of the game. And so you know, from a wheel standpoint, you're sitting there, you're going like, I got them plus one and a half. Now I've got Florida plus 190. Now I got to play them plus 400 here down 02. But like, it actually worked out really well for what we expect out of that, right? Because a lot of these, especially when you make those bets, you go, okay, well, this is going to lose. Tampa's going to get another goal here, whatever. Like, it's really, really hard to make a bet down 02, right? Like, that's kind of the point, right? It's why there's value in doing it. Because Florida gets that goal, and they get the goal to get within one, and now you're sitting there going like, okay, now we have a chance here. And I believe it was Barkov who had like a wrist shot, point blank type thing, and uh, Vasilevsky makes a blocker save, really just a positional save. If it's a half inch one way or another, feels like that puck's going in, and we've got a tie game, and the Florida you know fans are going nuts, and you know maybe this thing goes to overtime. Who knows what happens, right? But the point is, you're sitting there, you know, with a ton of value on that bet. And so in both cases, and we'll talk about the you know the other game here where it's again very similar, but you're making that plus four hundred bet and you're just hoping that it gets to be better than plus four hundred at some point. So when Florida scores that goal and the live line becomes, you know, plus two hundred, for example, you're now going like, yeah, okay, like you know, we did it and we just have to sort of hope for the best here. And you know, again, we're getting the more the better of it from a high danger chance and from an expected goals for standpoint. So again, you can't really ask any more from that standpoint. And it's the exact same thing with the Islanders in Pittsburgh. And we thought Pittsburgh would come out early on and you know be really aggressive, carry the play. From a high danger scoring chance standpoint, that really wasn't the case. And you get that first goal. Not the same bad luck, but the same brutal goal in Varlamov just waving. And was he showing some rust against rust? I don't know, but he's just waving at pucks and it's, you know, he misses it completely. And I don't know what the hell happened there, but that's the goal that you can't have. You know, it's pretty standard. It's probably the worst goal we're going to see in the playoffs, but it's a goal you can't have in the playoffs if you expect to win games. And so, you know, they missed that. Now, all of a sudden, now we need the Islanders here. We are going, you know, the recommendation, the Action Network preview yesterday was let's wait through the first period, see how they stem the tide, if you will. Pittsburgh gets a more legitimate goal for a 2-0 goal, and now it's plus 700, and we have to make that play. Well, the Islanders go back. They eventually get a goal in the second period, and we have a ton of time for the game to be tied. And that's, again, all we can ask for when it comes to that bet right in the same way that when you bet the no on the team to score first wins the game and the game goes to overtime and you're sitting there with the favorite at plus 180 plus 190 you know we can't score the can't score the puck for them right and you just go yeah i've made a really good bet here we have ton of a ton of value in the bet that we have created and whatever happens happens and if a couple of those overtimes go a little bit differently right this whole concept is going really well and the islanders uh, 14 to 8 high danger chances in that game. And so between Florida and the Islanders, you know, quick mathematics here, 27 to 13 in high danger chances of teams that were down just one goal that we had like at a kind of ridiculous price, right? And so again, you would do that every single time. Didn't work out on the ledger, looks kind of shitty, but like, you know, whatever is what it is. So um, Islanders get it within two to one. That third period was electric. Varlamov standing on his head, essentially doing his best to make up for that brutal early goal. But, you know, the Islanders can't get it by uh, Tristan Jari. And, you know, again, he was good, right? And again, you don't know if he's going to be as bad as he was in the first game or you know, much better in the second game. We don't know that game to game. But what we do know here is that the Islanders are certainly capable of playing with Pittsburgh in a game that Pittsburgh, in theory, you know, should have won relatively easily. They didn't. I think that says a lot about the Islanders. Speaking of, again, another game, 2-1, to one, Minnesota and Vegas. Minnesota scores first, so you've got Vegas 
in the wheel. Um, 2.65 to 1, 2.134 Minnesota, their best game of the two, 12 to 6 in the high danger chances. And again, this game's, you know, one nothing Minnesota almost immediately 1-1. Vegas takes a lead 2 to 1. And, you know, you're, again, if you're a wheeled person out there, you've got Vegas and you're going, okay, this is sweet. If they could just win by one goal, we're going to win both of these plus one, you know, with the plus one and a half. And if you went to bed and you woke up and you saw there was 30 seconds left, they scored to make it three to one. You're going, oh, an empty net goal. That's brutal. No, no, they had it perfectly set up. Minnesota did in a, in a weird way, or these, those of us backing Minnesota plus one and a half, where they had it set up, where Vegas had the puck sort of skating around, um, Minnesota unable to pull the goalie because they didn't have possession. And then Vegas just throws it in front and bangs in uh, the goal to make it three to one. And you're sort of sitting there going like, I really would have preferred to see that as an empty net goal because like we're mentally prepared for that, right? All I want is the goalie to stay in the net as long as he possibly can in that situation. And yeah, sure, we would have liked to have Minnesota win. But from a bankroll management standpoint, I think it's really important to note you know, first and foremost, like these wheel bets are just kind of fun, smaller bets where, you know, you, you sort of budget to make three bets on a game that should equal out probably less than a full unit versus the bets that we actually make. Right. So, again, Florida, that's a full unit bet that loses. You know, I put in the Action Network app and again, talked about it on the show with Andy and Alex you know, the under six, like I threw that in for a half unit. So from a full unit standpoint, I only lost, you know, 0.6 of a unit. We were up 3.6. So now we're three units to the good in that department. And for the wheel, right, it's, it's essentially there so that you don't make bad bets, you know, for your big bets, you know, for your real bets, if you will, right? The ones that you're actually sort of, we put the effort in to handicap these games to make these numbers, right? Versus just systematic bets where it's like, okay, I'm just here for watching this game versus like Florida. I'm like, come on, Florida, like score a freaking goal here. Like we need this type of a situation. And so, you know, that's kind of the difference between the two. But what it does yesterday is it saves us from betting the Islanders before the game or, you know, even just sort of building in that concept of wait for the first period that saves us from backing them for a full unit. And the same thing with Minnesota. And we're cheering for the Islanders. We're cheering for the Wild because we have these series prices, but we're not expecting sweeps here. And it would be great if they did. And we talked about that kind of concept yesterday with, you know, do you bet every single game as though you, you know, are expecting for a sweep. And so now we can go and we can reevaluate these for game three, probably play both in game three because again value is value here and while we're not going to get the same price we're still going to probably get the same value with both sides even the series prices i think are still worth a look if you're a little bit late to the party because the aisles at plus 110 isn't that far off from plus 130 um and the same thing with minnesota it means plus 150 so it's obviously a lot far off from our 215 but that number got down to plus 190 and i think was still worth a play so at plus 150 you're getting both you know i should say you're getting minnesota at plus 150 as the home team here the home uh home ice advantage if you will and even if they lose home ice advantage not the end of the world because they've shown that they can be the better team even in a loss on the road against uh, Pittsburgh and Vegas, respectively. So that was the situation from last night. As for tonight, amping it up here, a fourth game in the mix um, for our little schedule here, but it starts with Washington, Boston, 6.30 start. Nice of the NHL to stagger these. Don't know why they didn't do this in the regular season. Afternoon games would have been fun. 
they did some afternoon games, but they didn't really tell anybody. It wasn't a regular thing. There should have been one, like, 5 o'clock start every single day. For some reason, there wasn't. As is, this is a 6.30 start, and this is one I wrote for the Action Network. And fundamentally here, we want to compare it to what we thought of the series going in. And so, again, with this series, we thought, okay, this is either going to be, I shouldn't say either, but, like, for the regular season, taking all the numbers, throwing them into our stew here, it's going to be about a pick em type series. Washington may be even a slight favorite given the fact that they have home ice advantage. Obviously that gets deteriorated once we find out about the goaltending situation, but that was a regular season, full season metric type situation. Well, but what do we know, right? We know the Taylor Hall, the additions at the trade deadline, and we go, okay, well, this version of Boston is actually really, really, really good and should be priced at like you know, minus 195, essentially, to win the series. And so they price it somewhere in between, and it's minus 140, and people bet it, and it goes to minus 150, and then minus 160, and everybody's piling into the series price, and we end up having to bet it at minus one and a half to sort of, you know, maintain a little bit of, you know, not wanting to go all the way in as far as an investment is concerned. And so, you know, we do that, they play these two games out, and it turns out that Boston ends up, over the course of two games, being the same team from a ratio standpoint, right? Being two-thirds of the high danger chances, being two-thirds of the expected goals for type of a team that they were over the course of this latter half of the season. So that tells me that the number was more appropriate at minus 195 than it was at Pickham. Even though that if you watch the games, they go to both go to overtime and it sort of lends the idea like, oh, this is a Pickham type series. I would disagree with that because, you know, again, at two-thirds of the high-danger chances here for Boston, this is certainly, to me, Boston or nothing the rest of the way. But how do we play Boston? Minus 165? I think you'd certainly play that. Um, you know, I look at the goaltending here, right? Where Rask, he's actually been below average, but I think it has a lot more to do with luck, right? We've seen these weird goals happen where he's not out of position. He's not, like, not battling. It's just, like, it just weirdly went in. Whereas Anderson, you know, had a good game in relief coming in, in game one, but gives up four goals and, you know, again, gets pushed around a little bit in the crease at certain points. You know, maybe the, the reflex is not necessarily there for a couple of those goals. Um, you know, the mobility, if you will. Also, Marshawn was able to tee one up there in the end where that was kind of a long pass, right, to have kind of an open net. So, again, like these are the tiny things that an almost 40 years old, like literally turns 40 this week goaltender is going to uh, is going to be problematic as the scene shifts here to Boston. So how am I going to play this? I think I'm going to split a unit. I think I'm going to go full sort of split half unit, a full half unit. Uh, I'm going to take a full unit. I'm going to split it on Bruins in regulation minus 105 and the over team total plus 120 at three and a half. I think they get to Washington again. I, you know, I think the over in the game is interesting at five and a half with, you know, plus price. But you could sell me on the fact that they shut out the Caps or they give up just one goal to the Caps. You could sell me on a 4-1 to one type of game. You could sell me on a 5-1 to one type of a game. And so if I'm going to like the over, I think I'm liking the Boston side of the over more than I am uh, the Washington side. And certainly with almost four expected goals for and four actual goals for at even strength in the last game, you know, I think that's indicative of Boston being able to create these scoring chances against Washington. Next game, Nashville, Carolina don't have a ton here. Uh, you know, we see some adjustment. Nashville uh, available in some places at plus 175 as an underdog. That is a little bit of value on Nashville. 
I rather just sort of play the wheel here, plus one and a half Nashville. You know, again, Carolina scores first, then you get a plus 190 on Nashville. Anyway, if Nashville scores first, now you've got Carolina plus 190, the same way that it worked in game one. So again, if I sort of think that Nashville is going to, uh, it has a little bit of value here, I'm already kind of committed with them from that standpoint. So I'll leave it there. Uh, St. Louis and Colorado. This is interesting only in its lack of interest at this point. You know, we talk about, okay, what happens, right? The price discovery process. They put up a price for the series, for the game. They think, oh, minus 300, whatever. Like for the series, that's not going to, you know, people aren't aren't going to be piling into St. Louis. Guess what? They're piling in on St. Louis. Minus 400, minus 500, like just through the roof. And again, that's how we... I shouldn't say how we expected, but like that's how it should have been given the fact that we were kind of infinity, right? Like there's always going to be value on Colorado. It's just what you're willing to invest. And so we invest in Colorado in regulation in that game, minus 150 to minus 160 were the prices. Of course, it gets there. A little hairy for a while there with, you know, 1-1 game despite Colorado dominating. But now we're sitting here and that same bet in regulation is like minus 200, for Colorado because that price has been adjusted, right? They have allowed people to bet into it. They've discovered what the price should be via that. And then that was confirmed by the play on the ice in game one. And so fundamentally, we just sit back and we go, there's kind of nothing for us to play here. And again, you keep playing the wheel. Good news is you're getting a great price on St. Louis, even money at plus one and a half. So you're not paying that big juice. And again, it's possible St. Louis gets an early goal here. And maybe you end up with Colorado, uh, you know, plus 190, plus 200, something along those lines. But again, that's the type of stuff that you don't expect to happen, but it happens. St. Louis could score that first goal. They could hang in there. Jordan Bennington's certainly playing well enough to have them hang in. But again, just from a value standpoint nothing left here as this price goes to minus 330 my true number minus 318 plus 318 so again we're not at the point where colorado has to be a bet that would we're still a ways away from that or excuse me that st louis has to be a bet um but we're right around you know equal uh value here for colorado in this one and then finally the north division and you know the media up here in canada thrilled that the north division is finally getting to play uh, Winnipeg and Edmonton, this is pretty basic, right? So my number is uh, 132. That means minus 132 for Edmonton, plus 132 for Winnipeg. You look at the price, no value, right? No value on Winnipeg, no value on Edmonton. It's a, a correctly priced game-to-game uh, -game type situation. Talked about this last week. I played a half unit on Winnipeg when a rogue plus 210 series price came up. Don't even like it, but again, it's plus 175 basically everywhere else. It went right back to plus 175 sort of within the day. So again, that I don't know if that was a mistake or just, hey, let's get some Winnipeg money in here. I don't expect Winnipeg to win. What I would like is maybe they get one of these first two games and I can come back over the top on Edmonton and get a bit of a discount that way. Right, thinking that you know, I don't think this is going to be a sweep. I think this series could be tied at some point. Do I think that's you know because Winnipeg wins tonight or not? No idea. But what do we do when it comes to Edmonton? Right, we don't want anything to do with the minus one fifty-five on the money line when Connor McDavid minus one and a half is available. And again, if you're going to bet the Oilers, why are you going to bet the Oilers? Because Connor McDavid exists. And say it with me now: if you are going to bet the Oilers because Connor McDavid exists, just bet on Connor McDavid. Uh, his over one and a half points is minus 135. So again, you're getting a 20 cent deal here, um, you know, relative to his team's success. You know, we talked about this all through the end of the season, the last three or four weeks of the season. And the idea of, okay, is he, 
you know, a higher price. At the end, he got to a higher price where he was minus 135, but the team was only minus 110 to beat Montreal. And in that case, you would bet Edmonton instead of McDavid. But in this case, because the price for the team is 155 and he's only 135, that's the way you go if you want to back something here. And of course, there's always the wheel to, um, you know, to avoid how, you know, if you don't want to bet a full unit on something, you can play around with the sort of fractions in the wheel. So that's the story when it comes to the NHL tonight. Next up, NBA basketball last night. Just brutal on a couple of different levels. So first and foremost, right, you'll hear, you know, whether you're new or sort of novice, intermediate, whatever, to sports betting, you probably hear the phrase CLV, the the letters CLV, closing line value, right? And we got a ton of closing line value with the Charlotte Hornets yesterday. Open, plus three and a half. We bet that. Talked about it with Sheldon on yesterday's podcast. Still available, plus three. Then a bunch of guys get announced out or questionable, and it goes down to plus one and a half. We get two full points of closing line value. And what does that get us? Nothing, nothing at all. And so, you know, people talk about closing line value. I do sort of have some skepticism in it because fundamentally part of my betting, you know, strategy, acumen, you know, concepts, whatever, is that everybody's just kind of an idiot. And so if everybody's an idiot as they just pour money on and all kind of agree that one team is going to win or cover, and then that changes the price, then you know what? There's probably some value on the other side. And, you know, it's difficult because you get in at plus three and a half and you go, okay, I got two free points here versus where the market is right now. And so in theory, should we come over the top and take in the Pacers at minus one and a half? Yeah, probably. But what really gets annoying is if you do that, and sure enough, the Hornets actually win the game, which, you know, looking back in retrospect, sounds insane because that team's horrific. Um, you know, but if they happen to do so, you're going, oh, everybody won because they all just piled in on this information that we had about these players being out, you know, including the top scorer, essentially, on the Pacers. You know, you feel like an idiot. And so, you know, that's part of the battle here from a psychological standpoint with betting on these games. Now, again, we're just throwing darts when it comes to the NBA. This is very similar to the wheel where, you know, it's not systematic, but it's really just us trying to kind of figure out um, where value is. And we figured where the value was at plus three and a half. I, I put out a clip yesterday of Sheldon and I talking about just going, let's just grab this plus three and a half because there's a better chance of this number dropping because of who may be out here for the Pacers. And so we do it. And then the Hornets give up a billion points, 70 points, basically in the first half, 140 something by the time all said, all was said and done and just completely embarrass themselves. And like, congratulations to the NBA, right? Like they create this play in tournament thing that like, you know, call it whatever you want. Is it, is it make the end of the regular season more interesting? Not really, because, you know, you could have had this theoretical, like, you know, these play-ins or these sort of important games in their regular season schedule. Does it make the first round more interesting? Well, no, because now we're headed for Washington and Indiana. Whoever wins that game tomorrow night, we're headed for them to take on, what, Philadelphia? Well, like, okay, so we just found ourselves right back in the same spot we always are, where, like, the Orlando Magic get destroyed by the Milwaukee Bucks for four straight games, right? So it doesn't really do anything for us from that standpoint either. And so, okay, great. This game, that game was brutal. The Boston-Washington game was brutal. Like, everything about it, you know, lacked intensity, um, right down to the broadcast, to the building. And listen, I understand like Boston, you know, not full capacity and all of that stuff. And like, 
you know, even if they were, right? Like, does Boston care about a play-in game where even if they lose, they still stay alive and, you know, play this next game against another garbage team? And again, that just sets up, you know, you know, this 2-7 matchup that, like, again, just because Boston beat Washington at home doesn't mean, like, I think that they now have a chance to uh, to win in the next round. So, really frustrating, um, especially with the closing line value concept. The other game, like, that number was two the whole way. Uh, you know, we joked about how, like, you know, the Bill Simmons, like, he'd be stunned if they won. That's all you need to know about Bill Simmons and that, like, he has no idea about, you know, pro- win probabilities or any of this shit. Like, he's got no clue. Um, but, you know... Again, he's a homer. You know, you're gonna you're gonna do homer things, right? Like pretend like you don't think that uh, that your team can win. And maybe he thought they couldn't, but again, who knows, right? Why would you rely on that in any way, shape, or form? So in a lot of cases, we should have probably just faded him as well. And that kind of goes along with all this other concept, right? Like if somebody like him, you know, I watched PTI and how they talked about all the Pacers were screwed because they didn't have the players or whatever. You know, at that point, right, you see like, okay, like the kind of dumb money, if you will, even though these guys aren't necessarily betting, like the dumb, you know, mainstream media, like are kind of piling on the Celtics. They're piling on against the Pacers. And it's like, that's not really how any of this stuff works. And so um, that being said, we got two more games tonight. The scary part is we're on the favorite tonight in both games. And so hopefully this is just a situation in these playoff games where the better team just wins. I'm obviously terrified of the San Antonio Spurs just from a branding standpoint. Uh, but we are on Memphis minus the three and a half. That number set four closing line value. Sure. Half point maybe. Uh, Lakers, right? And by the way, like, I guess that line for the Celtics game, minus five and a half. And again, I don't watch one single game this year, but if I had just gone on sort of history and, you know, all that sort of narrative concept, my number was better than the two, right? That five and a half got covered pretty easily just as well. And so, um, probably should have just trusted my guess on that. But again, because I don't watch the NBA, you know, in the regular season this year, or really any regular season year, you know, I don't trust my number at five and a half the way that I probably should have. Um, as I say that, right, like the Lakers, I thought the Lakers would be favored by like 10 in this game. And Sheldon said, like, the you know, the Warriors don't really beat good teams. And so, again, my expectations would be the Lakers win this game handily tonight. Now, is that going to happen? Who knows? But I'm, you know, willing to find out for our small little NBA bets here to try to keep interested. Um, in what's going on in the association. Because again, eventually the basketball will get good. But when you watch these games between these 7, 8, 9, 10 teams, you just realize, like, listen, all the people telling you about how good the NBA is, or or I don't even know if people are actually telling you that, but, like, you know, you watch these mid-tier games and you're just like, oh, my God, the basketball is horrendous relative to what the expectation is in the NBA and where it will be once we get to sort of the semifinals and, of course, the finals. So um, whatever, down, you know, 0-2 in this sort of little experiment, these fun NBA bets that we're going to get, we'll get that back. I'd like to think whether that's tonight or whether it's the, you know, one of the next, what, 50, 60, however many more games we're going to have in the NBA, that's going to happen at some point in time here. Um, So, again, both the favorites tonight here, minus 3.5 with Memphis, minus 4, sure. Um, Lakers minus five, I'd probably stay there when it comes to getting anything, uh, you know, if this number goes a little bit higher than that. But that being said, if it goes a little bit higher, that probably means a clean bill of health health for LeBron and AD, which I think will be enough for them to beat the Warriors here uh, in the game tonight, which again, I think should be a little bit more entertaining. I mean, it can't be 
as bad as those first two games were last night because that was embarrassing uh, for the NBA and everybody involved. All right, last but certainly not least, the PGA Championship, by the way. Uh, this season's last shot, that is now season's second shot. Um, okay, a couple of different things here uh, when it comes to betting on golf. Maybe you're new to the podcast, you don't really know how we do things here. But fundamentally, I believe in live betting golf more than I do sort of coming out with my card and saying, you know, these three guys are going to win, these seven guys are going to win. These guys are going top 20. These matchups, I don't believe in matchups. I think that's kind of a waste of time when it comes to the variance that is, um, you know, the PGA Tour, frankly. So basically what I do when it comes to this episode, the you know preview show, uh, is I'm looking for top 20s, stuff that I can't bet live, essentially, right? And I want different tiers. I'm going to go deep with some underdogs, essentially guys who are like in the $6,000 range on DraftKings, if you will, right? Guys that you may not have necessarily heard of, or you would be like shocked if you saw them on a leaderboard come Sunday. We try to pick a few of those guys in the 10 to 1 range to finish in the top 20. Then we get into a second tier guy. And that's a guy where you know who that guy is, you've seen him involved, but you would be again surprised if he was in the mix and they're priced accordingly. And then you get into a third tier, which are guys who have been playing a lot better lately. Who I mean, listen, all these guys are going to have, you know, we're going to need them to be in something of form here, but are guys who maybe in theory could win as a surprise, uh, you know, long shot type situation. And then, of course, we'll talk about the favorites here. Um, but again, from a betting standpoint, before the tournament starts, it's kind of just top 20s or nothing. Maybe there's an occasional market like a nationality market. Maybe there's a group market. Not that much going on here when it comes to this tournament. So as far as this tournament specifically is concerned, when we look up at the top, right, Rory McIlroy is the favorite. And that, I don't know that that's insane necessarily, but I certainly am not buying that. Sure, he won a couple of weeks ago. Do I, I, feel, do I feel like he's back because he won a couple of weeks ago? Like, it's kind of crazy to say that no, um, because he did win, right? Like, that's kind of impressive. Like, it's not easy to win on the PGA Tour. But he's the favorite because he won at this, you know, at this uh, course like nine years ago. Like, you know, we always talk about, oh, this guy at this course and blah, blah, blah. But the way they stagger these courses um, throughout the, you know, the major rotation, right? Like, it kind of never works out that way. That like the guy who won it eight years ago is going to play particularly well because he, you know, played. He was probably playing really well back then. And if he's not playing really well right now right? Like, it's not going to be remotely the same. And in the case of McElroy, like, okay, I don't know that he's playing really well, he's playing better. And so, you know, again, price matters. And so when we get to the 12 to one zone, I'm like, uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that, right? It's the same thing with a guy like Dustin Johnson, who we'll talk about in a second here, right? I'm going to need if I'm going to pay a big price, I'm going to need to have some confidence that this guy is playing pretty well and has had some results. And so, while McElroy has had some results, I'm going to need him to be sort of a dominant, more of a dominant force here. And so um, passing on that, John Rahm, sort of the other guy that, again, feels, you know, from lack of a better term here, do, right? Like he feels like the next guy who's going to win his first. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case, but I do have him saved for the U.S. Open next month at Torrey Pines because, again, he has won there before and you can, listen, he'll be a favorite there. You maybe even want to bet him right now before, you know, 
something happens in the next month or so where sort of people clue in that maybe he should be closer to 10 to 1, 8 to 1, something like that, where you'll see him when he is playing well. We're going to give him an extra month here to, um, you know, adjust to being a father and having that sort of um, be the biggest thing that's going on in his life. As for this course, um, always matters course, weather, all of that stuff, right? The stuff that changes on a week-to-week -week basis. So first and foremost, what holes are easy, what holes are hard? In the case of this course, you know, you know, we go to Augusta and we know, okay, you don't want to mess around with 10, 11, and 12, right? You don't want to back somebody live through eight holes because, you know, he made birdie or made eagle on eight, knowing that he could give that right back on 10 or 11, 12. Here it's a little bit different, right? 14 onwards, last four or five holes, just going to be brutal, all playing into the wind, it looks like, all four days. So, you know, again, when we're sitting there going, okay, this guy made birdie on 13, like, you know, we should buy him. It's like, no, steer clear of that, right? You're going to want guys who are done and maybe haven't played in a little bit. That's why the, the uh, flight is going to matter, right? Are they Thursday morning, Friday afternoon guys? Are they Thursday afternoon, Friday morning guys, right? All of that stuff sort of matters contextually as to, you know, if you can get through being a Friday morning guy and you can sort of post a number, maybe the wind kicks up later in the afternoon. Looks like the weather is going to be the same throughout the entire, you know, same for everybody on each day. So I don't know that from that standpoint, you know, where we saw with the PGA Championship last year at Harding Park, we knew going in, like the winner was probably going to come from the subset of, you know, one of the two flights uh, from a scheduling standpoint. And so I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case here. But again, from a live standpoint, know what the holes are that are going to be trouble and the ones that are a little bit easier, right? There's a 600 yard par five. That's going to even things out here for, you know, kind of against the long hitters. If nobody can reach it in two, then obviously that hurts the Bryson DeChambeau's of the world who are trying to steal strokes from that standpoint. The other thing is with the last difficult, you know, stretch here, I think there's going to be some come from behind potential in this one. There are going to be, you know, there might be a guy who is, you know, two shot lead. He's in the last group. He's in the last couple of groups and he just kind of melts down at the end. And it isn't necessarily his fault. A lot of people would melt down because again, these you know, last four holes are really, really tough. And so if somebody posts, you know, a minus 10 and there's a guy with a minus 12 who is still just kind of, you know, out on the course here, I think there's a very real possibility that maybe a guy who has completed his round, and maybe that's the case on Saturday if somebody goes low early on on Saturday, where you might want to grab him and then watch everybody kind of fall back towards him to get a little bit of value there. So we're going to play that a fair amount, I think, over the next, you know, weekend or so, right? Once we get to the weekend. Um, so again, sort of four tiers here. Um, let's start with tier number one. That's long shots to top 20. These are guys who are like 10 to 1. Burmester, McNeely, Horsfield. Uh, Burmester and McNeely, both 10 to 1. Horsfield, 9 to 1. Burmester and Horsfield, guys from the uh, European tour who have had some success and are, you know, good form type guys. This is going to have a very European-ish vibe to this list here because of the you know unfamiliarity that a lot of these guys have and i talked about the mcelroy winning nine years ago you can go back and you look at the leaderboard and you know when you see a mcelroy has one blank tournament you can go and think okay well like you know all these guys are in his um you know uh, his age right his, his era if you will and you go okay like well what, what did spieth do that week and it's like oh he was in college 
Like, oh, okay. And there's obviously all the younger guys than that who weren't, but like there's a group of people who, again, feel like they've been around a lot longer, like a Jordan Spieth, that just weren't there back then. That was sort of a weird point in time where like Tiger wasn't getting himself back into it you know, as he had, what was it, the 2013 or 2014 season where he came back and was really, really great, just didn't win any majors, right? So this was this weird time where it was sort of the Tiger era and, like, Rory was the young gun, but he was kind of the only one. Like, DJ was kind of a mess from a personal standpoint. You know, so again, I don't, again, it's obviously different competition, right? And so, you know, I think the field's a lot more difficult for Rory this time around. And so, um, yeah, so I think there's going to be a lot of European sort of element to it because these guys are coming to this tur tournament, to this course, going, you haven't really played it that much, and, like, the wind, and, like, I played it before at a different time of year, and the wind was doing different stuff, and blah, 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 blah. And so I think that allows for kind of more randomness, maybe a long shot winner, maybe a bunch more long shot top 20s, right? So maybe, you know, a Justin Thomas wins the entire thing. A guy who, by the way, I don't really want any part of until I can see him make a putt. Now, putting pretty random, all of that sort of thing. Maybe he ends up getting it together for this tournament. But again, I'm going to steer clear. I'm going to wait. Maybe he's a live target because he's making putts. Who knows, right? Again, maybe this the change in, in grass, right? We're talking about a different type of grass that these guys are playing on that they don't necessarily always do. So there's a lot of different randomness here. And so these long shots, I think, have a chance to first make the cut and then potentially play well on the weekend and get into the top 20. And, you know, the PGA being that type of a tournament where you'll see some surprises. Again, maybe not necessarily in the champion, but certainly potentially in the top 20. Next tier, these are guys who, like, you know their name. You would be surprised if they won, but if they finished 10th, you'd be like, yeah, okay, like, I can totally see that. And the first one's K.H. Lee, who won last week and is 5-1 to one to finish in the top 20 this week. And I understand, listen, that course, that tournament last week, drastically different than what we're dealing with this week even just from a play standpoint cage lee i'm pretty sure he had you know shot 66 every round to finish like 24 under par and win comfortably and that's not going to be what this is this week but fundamentally we're talking about five to one for a guy who was dominant last week and won that tournament relatively easily with just incredible consistency and so you know does he sit high on his horse having won that tournament? Which, of course, anytime you win a uh, PGA Tour tournament, that's going to change your life, right? It opens a lot of doors, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, is he going to be that or is he going to keep his form here, make the cut, and then again, maybe contend in for a top 20? At plus 500, I'm willing to take my chances there. Elsewhere, Thomas Peters, speaking of a little European flavor here, plus 650 for a top 20 here for, again, a guy who has all the talent in the world, playing a lot better in the last year or so. Um, you know, a former Ryder Cup guy, a guy who I've backed a handful of times. He was in the mix a little bit. Uh, I believe that was, what, at the PGA last year. Um, plus 650 for a top 20 for a guy that talented. I will take that. Russell Henley, kind of a bland type of a guy. Um, really handsome sounding first name. Um, plus 450. Uh, for him to be in the top 20, I'll take that. Christian Bazudenhout, again, a guy that you're like, yeah, okay, he's been in the mix here a little bit. He's, you know, been involved in a couple of these tournaments. Plus 500 to be in the top 20. This one's going to gross you out a little bit. But 
Ricky Fowler's 150 to one to win this tournament, and he's not going to win the tournament. But just the fact that he's 151, of course, means that his derivative prices are going to reflect that. And in this case, he's plus 550 for a top 20, and it has gotten a little bit better. He had a top 20, I believe it was the tournament that Spieth won a few weeks back. Um, or maybe it was the one after the Masters. I can't remember. But he's been, you know, he again, is it coming around? Maybe a guy who can play in the wind. We always sort of say Oklahoma State guys, they can play in the wind. It's such a random thing to say, but, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Um, you know, and the putter. Maybe the putter gets hot. A uh, guy who's good um, from an iron standpoint. Keep the ball low. All of that sort of thing. Max Homa is plus 400. Again, missed a cut quite kind of embarrassingly uh, at the Quail Hollow, at Quail Hollow in defending, you know, sort of the tournament that he had won a couple of years back. And not ideal from that standpoint, but this is a guy who over the course of this season has been ball striking it just as well as anybody else out there. And at plus 400 for Max, he's got bones on the bag this week. Not to say that his caddy, his regular caddy is, you know, Joe is some idiot, but like having bones on the bag can't be a bad thing. I think that's going to have a little extra juice for Max. Um, and I think he's going to be able to get around this course well enough to make the cut. And again, who knows, right? Once you make the cut, it's sort of a one in three chance that you're going to get into the top 20. Um, you know, even if you just barely make the cut, uh, next tier guys that I actually think could in theory win. I'd be very surprised if they did 110 to one for Siwoo Kim, I think is interesting. So plus 350 at, uh, for a top 20, um, might be worth a little sprinkle there on Siwoo. Charles Schwartzel is playing really well. And again, like ball striking type guy, uh, 100 to one and plus 333 to get a top 20 for a guy that's playing pretty well. And he played in that stupid Zurich classic thing where you're paying, you know, playing with a partner and like nobody really knows like how we're supposed to evaluate it. But the point is, is he won it with Louis Oosthuizen. And so I've got Louis here as well as a, you know, listen, a big game type of a guy, right? Big ballpark, Chambers Bay contention type of a guy. 66 to one plus 240 to finish in the top 20. So give me Louis here um, as a guy who's going to be in the mix. And then a couple of guys who... You know, ball striking guys, like lower ball flight guys who, you know, not lengthy necessarily, but like if everybody's going to be hitting, you know, 200 yard shots or like, you know, whether it's 150 yards dead into the wind where they have to hit a four iron or whatever, you know, low ball flight type of a guy, Joaquin Neiman, 60 to one and plus 250 for a top 20 and Matthew Fitzpatrick's 50, 51, 55, excuse me to one and plus 240 for a top 20. So Ustays and Neiman and Fitzpatrick in that sort of plus 250 type range for a top 20. Again, very sort of international, you know, we got a Chilean, uh, we got uh, South Africans going here, and of course we got a Brit in Matthew Fitzpatrick. As for the favorites, guys that I would actually make a play on before the tournament started from a uh, you know, they're a fate, they're not a favorite necessarily, but they're a top tier type of a guy. Uh, Cam Smith, 40 to one, plus 175 to be in the top 20 here, right? Again, another sort of, I think a course that really sets for him, uh, sets up really well for him, I should say. Daniel Berger, 30 to one, right? These two guys, guys who could win majors, you wouldn't be stunned if Daniel Berger walked away with a PGA championship. Same thing with Cam Smith. Cam Smith, you know, a little bit more contention in uh, majors here uh, in the last little bit. Uh, and then the guy I think who like, you know, you don't want to say like if I had to bet my life on a golfer to win a golf tournament, 
But doesn't it feel a little Victor Hovlandy, right? Two top threes in his last uh, two outings here. A guy who ball strikes the bleep out of it. He's 20 to 1. Um, I might grab a little bit of that. I might grab a little of his first round leader. And I'll be looking to play him um, in the each way and, you know, as this tournament goes along here. Because, again, this is, you know, I always joke around. I'm like, Hovland's always in the mix, always in the top five. But it never feels like he's going to win. But this just might be his time, right? We've got, we've already got the Colin Morikawa uh, win in his back pocket. I think Victor's going to get one here, and he's certainly playing well enough um, in order to not be all that surprising if that actually happened. So you know, Smith, Berger, Hovland, and then the favorite I like of that top group. If you absolutely had to have one, I think Spieth, right? I mean, you know, we already know what Spieth does, right? He just gets the ball in the hole one way or another. Texas guy, familiar with the wind. Um, again, doesn't do anything like spectacularly, but just kind of gets it around. And I think, you know, the idea here is he's just kind of playing the best of this group relative to that price. Like I said, I'm saving John Rom for later, uh, saving him for next month. Um, and again, a guy who I just think will be lingering here. Um, one sort of note here, data golf does sort of projections here. They have Rom as their favorite. Again, I've sort of given you the inter- you know understanding of why I don't think that's necessarily the case. Daniel Berger, number two of their you know probabilities here. Hovland, number three. I think that's interesting. Thomas and Shoffley round out the top five here. We already know how I feel about Shoffley. I'm going to need to wait and see. And you know I'm going to dare Shoffley to beat me essentially. And Thomas, I would get in on Thomas. I just need to know that the putting is a little bit better. And if he shows that he's comfortable this week on these greens, that might be an indicator that we might want to hop onto him. And so as we bet these live, you know, in some cases we're going to get a better number, right? If Hovland starts slow and we get a 40 to one on him, and again, who knows how that's going to end up working out. But sometimes we may be rolling around on Sunday and have a better number. I think we got there with Colin Morikawa and the PGA did so in a couple of situations over the, over the Masters the last two times uh, that it's been played here in the last six weeks. But the other thing is we're happy, not happy, but we will give up, you know, quote unquote value. We will take a lower price on a Justin Thomas, for example, if we find out on Friday that a bunch of really good players have missed the cut. And of course, that means that it's going to be easier for the really good players who didn't miss the cut in order to win the golf tournament. And so we're willing to sacrifice on a guy who, you know, a Spieth, for example, at 16 to one, we're going to take him at five to one on Saturday. We're not going to fear of missing out this thing, you know, because, or, or just, you know, ignore that we would have missed out um, on the best price of it. We're not going to beat ourselves up about it because you know what? Winning a bet at five to one, still pretty good, right? We have to remember that um, as we go forward throughout the rest of the weekend. Um, the disappointments, some missed cut flyers out there. Dustin Johnson, plus 285. Do we even know Justin Johnson's like playing well at all? at any of this at any point here right missed the cut at the masters which like i would have bet i would have bet my life that he wouldn't have done that thankfully that wasn't in play sergio garcia's missed 10 out of his last 12 major cuts uh 137 plus 137 to miss the cut here um i don't like windy conditions for bubba watson right he wants to shape it on his of, of his own volition right he doesn't want the guesswork he wants to have control over his golf ball plus 150 to miss the cut for bubba and then a guy who, like, it looked like this year might be the year that he would be in contention. And who knows? Maybe it is. There just hasn't been any indication from a form standpoint that Patrick Cantlay 
is ready to do this. The Masters was a disaster for him. I think he's uh, deep into the weeds right now and at plus 225 to miss the cut. I think that's a really good price for him. One last thing, and I'm going to make a call here that I have not made before, and it's not something that I normally bet, but it kind of goes with the idea that this, you know, the last holes on this course are going to be so tough that when you've got the lead and you're trying to finish this off, it's going to be really, bit, you know, really difficult. I think there's going to be a guy who has posted a number, and there might be a guy with a two, one-shot lead, just hanging on for dear life. There's going to be a playoff, plus 400 to be a playoff in the PGA Championship. I think the course just sets up for that. I don't know that this is a, going to be a runaway situation for anybody, right? Those only really happen when these courses are relatively easy or when Tiger Woods is involved and it's 2,000 and he's 13 under and nobody else is you know, able to break par, something along those lines. Um, again, I think this is just tightly enough where there's nobody who's playing that that well that's going to run away with it. So at plus 400, I'll take my chances that this thing ends um, in a playoff Maybe even more than one person. But again, plus 400 to be a playoff. That's what we're rolling with for the PGA Championship. All right, got that in under 50 minutes. So that's uh, that's good news for everybody out there. Uh, follow along at Authentic as usual on Twitter and the Action Network app. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.